Father, as we just sang that song, our voices joined with a song that will never end. You tell us in the book of Revelation that for eternity we will be around the throne singing worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory. Oh, Lord, I pray that our hearts as we sing we're overwhelmed with a sense of, of gratefulness, of thankfulness. Thank you for the cross, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the price that you paid. Oh, God. We're overwhelmed by you. And I pray, Lord, that you'd reveal yourself to us in new ways today for your glory. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to be seated. And as you are, turn in your copy of God's Word to Colossians. We'll be continuing there. And uh, as, I, as we do that, I'll release the kids through fourth grade to Children's Church. You'll see the platform set up a little differently. I'm way up here. And uh, that's because of the patriotic celebration that's coming up. And so... Uh, coming up in a week or so, and you'll want to be able to invite your friends to that. We're looking forward to that. So, Colossians, chapter 1. And uh, it's been exciting to uh, hear from several of you how you're enjoying the summer theme and how that's impacting your life. And uh, the first week of summer, there was, in your worship folder, there were cards, little cards, and there's some out at the Welcome Center if you didn't happen to get one. But it talks about the theme being God's timeless message, letters that live. And God's timeless message is the message of the gospel. And that's what we were singing about this morning and what we've been looking at through the various messages so far this summer. It's also what we've, uh, what we've been reading as we've been going through the summer reading plan and uh, following all the early churches and, uh, and doing that chronologically has been good. The summer reading book that's available, and it's all been focused on the gospel. And the uh, Lord just laid on my heart that this summer would be a great summer to just focus once again on this unbelievable truth of the gospel. And this quote that I, I read to you earlier in the summer from Phillips these early Christians were on fire with a conviction that they had become, through Christ, literally sons of God. That these letters that were written and the people who received them were received by people who really believed that the gospel had changed their lives in such a dramatic way that they had literally become the children of God, which is what the gospel teaches. And so it says... They were the pioneers of a new humanity, founders of a new kingdom. They still speak to us across the centuries. Perhaps if we believed what they believed, we might achieve what they achieved. I love thinking about that. I had breakfast with somebody yesterday, and as we were talking, I shared with them, I said, you know, I've, I was born here. I, I, I look out the back door of my house and like a mile away is the farm that I was raised, you know, born and raised on, okay? So it's, it's like, for me, Walworth County has my heart. And I have a passion for Walworth County to come to know Jesus as their Savior. And I said to him, I said, I'm, I'm either naive enough or I have enough faith, one or the other, to believe 
that every person in Walworth County could come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The gospel is big enough for that, isn't it? Now, no one of us can do that alone. The early church, and we went on to talk, and he said, well, you know, things are a lot different now than it was when the early church was there. Now, you know, people, people talk bad about the church. You know, and, and the church has been marginalized. And I said, but if you think about it, this movement came out of the Jewish faith. And so the synagogues were, were where this was happening. And for the majority of the world at that point in time, they weren't talking kindly about the synagogues, were they? And so when you think about it and you look at it, we're really in, in, in I believe, we're in a culture that's so similar to the culture that was here when, when the New Testament was written. It's exciting. Because all of a sudden, as we read this, it becomes even more applicable for us. So we look at this gospel. And, and, and as we've been looking at that, the thing that, that the Lord's laid on my heart is that I believe that for us, we need to be really well prepared to share the gospel. Each one of us has to come to a point where we know the gospel so well that at any given point in time, we're ready to share it. And it's become such a part of who we are, we can't help but share it. It just gets shared just because. Last Monday night, Karen and I had an opportunity to go to the hospital to St. Luke's. And a friend of ours is there. And he's been a friend of ours for like 12 years. And we've had lots of conversations. We know his family, and we talk with him a lot. And, and uh, every time we get anywhere near anything talking about church or, or the Bible or things like that, uh, boy, a wall goes up. Do you have any friends like that? On Monday night as we're on the way to St. Luke's because he's there because he has congestive heart failure. I said, Karen, I said, I... I don't want to leave the hospital until I have a chance to share the gospel with them. I'm just praying that I have an opportunity. And so we walk into the hospital room, and, and this man's scared, right? Because when your heart starts to fail, and all of a sudden all of the things that you've put your hope in are not, are not there anymore, you begin to get scared. So we started talking, shared about his life, a 31-year-old daughter who died. That's hard. He said, I, I have a hard time believing. I have a hard time believing in a God who would let something like that happen. Right? That's real. We shared, we talked. Lord, if there's an opportunity, please. I have my pocket Bible with me because this one gets scary sometimes, <laughs> you know, for people. He has a Catholic background. So he looked at me and he said, I've never been baptized. If I die, will I go to hell? I said, no. 
How would you answer that question? Are you ready to answer that question? What about when the question isn't quite that clear? What about when it's, I don't know why God would allow my daughter to die or would kill my daughter? Are you ready to step in and share the hope that you have and the hope that you've been given? Are you ready to share the truth of the gospel? Because the gospel is what brings change. The gospel is the hope, is what we're looking at tonight, that today, that the, the gospel holds out hope. So I said to him, I said, well, let me tell you what God's word says. God's word says this, that the wages of sin is death. So I asked him, have you ever sinned? Is it, you ever done anything in your life that was displeasing to God? He said, yeah, done a lot of things. I said, no, I've seen some of them. <laughs> <laughs> See, the gospel is shared by real people, right? And we talked about that. We talked about how those things are in absolute opposition to God. And each one of us have done those things. And I said, so what you've earned, because the wages of sin, what you've earned is death. So yes, if you die, you'll go to hell, because that's what you've earned, because of what you've done. And he said, that's not good news. That's not very helpful for me, is what he said. I said, I know. But there's more. Let me tell you the second half of this verse. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, there's eternal life is available for us. Instead of being forever separated from God, it's possible for us to be forever with God. It's possible for those things that we've done wrong to be forgiven. It's possible because of the love of God demonstrated through his son Jesus who died on the cross. It's possible that the penalty for our sin can be paid for. Imagine that you're in a courtroom and you've got a really good judge. And the judge says, are you guilty or innocent? And you say, I'm guilty really good judge is going to he's going to mete out the punishment and the punishment for our sin is eternal separation from God and hell so you're in court and and you say guilty and the judge says your fine is a hundred million dollars and you're like I got 18 cents I, you know I got, I got nothing and all of a sudden somebody walks up and and says to the judge something in his ear the judge looks at him, and he looks at you. And he says, this man has just offered to pay your fine. What would you like? And at that moment in time, you're presented an opportunity. Will you say, yes, I would like him to pay my penalty, or no? No, I don't want him to pay my penalty. See, that's, that's the offer of salvation. Salvation. 
it's like that. It's, it's Christ is offering to have his death pay the penalty for your sin so that your death penalty is paid by him. But you have to ask him to do that. As God the judge looks at you and says, what will you do with Jesus? And if you say, yes, I, I would like Jesus to pay my penalty. I know I don't deserve it. I know I'm guilty. I know I'm wrong. But yes, I, I would like that. I, please forgive me. And I, at that moment in time, saved, rescued, redeemed, reconciled. And I said to him, I said, suppose then you go outside and you see this, this man who paid your penalty on the steps of the courtroom. You'd like go up to him and say, whoa, can I hang out with you? How can I repay you for the price you paid for me? And that's the next step. We don't live our lives for ourselves anymore. We live our lives for the one who purchased us. He said, that's good news. I said, that's what we call it. <laughs> the gospel is the good news. You hold the good news. What are you doing with it? As we look at the scriptures... My prayer is that we will be so overwhelmed with a knowledge of what the gospel is, our lives will be so swept away from the fact that we've been rescued and redeemed that we will not be able to help ourselves, that we will go out and we will be proclaiming this and we will be doing it wherever and whenever we can so that we can take as many people with us as possible. Amen? So Colossians chapter 1. Before I read, maybe you're here and you never, you never trusted Jesus. You never asked him to pay the penalty for your sin. The offer's here right now. It's what the cross represents. It's why it's lit. The death penalty has to be paid. If you've never asked him to do that, do that right now. Colossians chapter 1. We're in verses 21 through 23. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established, firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Father, as we look into your word, I pray that you would illuminate it for us. Open our hearts to hear what your spirit has to say to us through your word. Use it to change our lives, Lord, I pray. 
in your name. Amen. So this church in in Colossae, you remember it's a church that Paul had never uh, never been to, but he wrote to them, and he started out with a prayer of thanksgiving, thanking God for the fact that the gospel had come into their lives and had, had changed their lives, and it was changing the world because the gospel changes the world. And then it goes into a prayer. So right from Thanksgiving, he moves into petition for this group of people. And, and he's, he's praying that they would understand in new ways the new reign that they have in their lives because of the gospel, that, God, that the, Jesus is reigning over them. And then last week, we looked at the fact that, that, that the gospel is a way of reconciliation, and we understood the supremacy of Christ, that this Christ who's reigning over us is actually supreme over everything, and, and he is God. It said, you know, it says the son he loves, that Jesus is the son that God the Father loves. Not that he's the son in that he was born, but he's the son positionally within the Trinity. And we looked last week how Jesus is God, and he's supreme over everything, over all creation. And then we looked at the fact that, that he is reconciling all creation back to himself. That sin has totally destroyed what God has put in place here. And the entire creation is subject to frustration because of the sin. And that Jesus Christ, the gospel, is the truth that all creation will be reconciled to him. But now we move on. And Paul says, that's really great. You'll be able to make peace through his blood shed on the cross. So there'll be peace with all of creation because of the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. But he goes on to say this. While that's great, that cosmos aspect, the second part of the gospel is that it's, it's, it's effective for us. We can be brought back into the intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, that we were designed to have. And that's what we look at today as Paul presents the gospel to them. And it starts out here, we're, we're looking at the gospel holds out hope. Our big idea for today is that our hope is found only in being reconciled by Christ. Our hope is found only in being reconciled by Christ. And it's great that we're the ambassadors of hope, the messengers of hope, because the world desperately needs hope right now. Amen? Amen. So, first thing we see is that we were alienated. And we see that here. Once you were alienated. So the outline flows right from the text. Isn't that great when that happens? We were alienated. And the important thing about the gospel, once you understand it, once it becomes part of who you are, is you understand there's a past, a present, and a future aspect to it. And the past aspect is that we were alienated from God. Now, as Paul was writing, he's writing to a group of Gentile believers here in, the, in Colossae. And so these are Gentile believers. Now, Gentiles were alienated from God differently than the Jewish people were in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people were the chosen people, and and just by nature of being chosen, the Gentiles were alienated. Now, God still has amazing plans for the Jewish people in the future, but in this church age, now, even though we were alienated from him, we're, we're in now with them. The, the gospel has made it possible for the, for the truth of God to come to the Jew and the Gentile. So that alienation is part of what he's talking about here. But then he goes on to say, you are enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. 
So we were alienated in our minds. So where we were before we came to know Christ and where you are if you don't know Christ now is this. You're, you're, an, you're isolated from God. You're isolated from him. You're estranged from him. Okay, we were estranged from him. And before I came to know Christ, my mind was about everything else except God. It was about how I could please myself. It was about how I could make myself happy. It was about, I wasn't thinking about how my life could benefit God. I was thinking about how my life could benefit me. And I was totally isolated from thoughts about God. Oh, I designed a God, but it wasn't God. And what we need to understand is we're lost because our minds are alienated from God. And our actions follow our minds. Okay, so, so we see first we're enemies in our minds. And what that means, enemies in our minds, is that we're actively hostile toward God. Right? You're an enemy of God. And so how many of you would like to stand up and say, I'm an enemy of God, and think that that would work out well for you, okay? <laughs> but that's who we were. And we were actively, actively engaged in being hostile towards God. And, and we're at war with him. That's who we were. So there's this mental alienation. It's a mental alienation, a mental estrangement. But then what that does is it feeds our behavior. So we're lost because our minds are alienated from God, and our minds are what drives our behavior. And because our minds were alienated from God, we began to be alienated from God morally. So our actions follow our minds. And we can see it right in the garden, right? When Adam and Eve and Satan came and he tempted them and they saw the fruit and they said, I think I'd like to have that fruit. And so they took it. Okay, so the actions followed the mind, what they thought they would like to have. And so it's the same for us. That before Christ, we're totally alienated from God. And that's that dominion of darkness, right? Remember we looked at that a couple of weeks ago where we're just under the rule of Satan in this dominion of darkness and sin and everything else? But he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son. He loves the kingdom of light. So how does it impact your understanding of God to consider that you were his enemy because of your evil behavior? Now as we think about that, as we think about our, our minds... We think of Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? Uh, you know, it, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. It's a reasonable act of worship. And, and don't be conformed any more to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by renewing of your minds. Okay? So, so what's beautiful about this passage is we see that when we were alienated from God, our minds were actively opposed to him and at war with him. But once we experience reconciliation, we have opportunity to renew our minds. Remember, we talked about that a couple, three weeks ago, about how we can grow in the knowledge of who God is. And in so doing, we can renew our mind. That's why the word is so important. That's why we stay in it and stay focused on it so that the word can come into us and it can renew our minds and it can help us think differently. So, in the past, alienated from God. And just like my friend said, 
That's not good, right? But now we are reconciled. And see, it says, but now he has reconciled you. So the outline's flowing right from the text. You see that? Our hope is found only in being reconciled by God. First, we were alienated from God, but now we are reconciled. We're reconciled in the present. So God has taken the initiative to do this. He's taken the initiative to reach into our lives and reconcile us by, it says, by Christ's physical body through death. So it's by the death of Christ that reconciliation is possible because the wage has to be paid. The penalty must be paid. God is holy, unchanging. He's merciful, he's kind, he's loving, he's just. He's all these things that God is require that the death penalty be paid. And the death penalty had to be paid by a man, by a human. And so we look at that and we say, wow, how does that happen? Well, it's through the physical body of Christ. And now that's important because a lot of times people don't understand. And and what happened was at the time that this was written, there were people, Gnostics, who believed that, you know, Christ wasn't really God, that, that it was just someone who seemed like God, that it was a man who seemed like God, but that God really didn't come and take on flesh. It wasn't really God that became a man, and Jesus wasn't really God. Well, we looked at last week how that's absolutely true, and now Paul's making it clear that that physical body of Jesus is the one that hung on the cross because that's the only way for redemption to come. Maybe we could look at Psalm 49. If you have a chance, take, take, a, take, take a look back at Psalm 49. About midway through your Bible, a little, bit, a little bit closer to the front. But Psalm 49 gives us an idea of this, what redemption is and what it means to redeem. Because in order for us to be reconciled, in order for the relationship with God to be restored, because remember, we were estranged from God, And so now we need that estrangement to be brought back together. And that's what the cross does, is it brings a reconciliation so that we are no longer estranged from God. Psalm 49, verse 7. No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. See, there's the hopelessness of trying to find redemption in and of myself. There's no way that the, that the redemption that's needed, there's no way that we can come up with enough to pay the ransom to God. A ransom has to be paid. Well, praise God, verse 15. But God will redeem from my, my life from the grave, the psalmist said. He will surely take me to himself. So redemption's possible, but redemption's possible only through God taking on flesh and becoming a man and hanging on the cross. And when that happened, at this point in time, you are reconciled to God. And God sees you differently. He no longer sees you as an enemy. Now he sees you as holy in his sight. Holy in his sight. You'll remember right in the, in the second verse, it says, Paul, as he's writing to these, to these people, he says, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. When you are in Christ You are holy in the sight of God, set apart. You're a saint. And we went around the room and did that. Remember, we said, you know, like like St. Bruce and St. Linda, you know. And we, we looked at that and looked at what does that mean? 
that we're actually holy in the sight of God. Do you see yourself as holy? You know, Danny, are you holy? What do you think? Should I ask Kristen? Yeah? <laughs> see, the Bible says if you're in Christ, you're holy in the sight of God. Now, see, the problem we have is seeing ourselves the way God sees us. See, we have a problem with that. Because we're so locked into these thought processes we had when we were enemies of God. And so we see ourselves in the ways that we used to think. And we don't understand that Jesus doesn't see us that way anymore. He paid the penalty for us so that we could be holy, set apart, and saints in his sight. What we need to do is we need to begin to see ourselves the way that, that God sees us so we can start living that way. So many times I see myself as not being holy, so then I live not holy. If I see myself as holy, I'm like, holy people don't act that way. That's not what I'm going to do, okay? Without blemish. Without blemish. Unblameable. Unblameable. If you were here last week, you know there was a statement I made toward Karen that I could get blamed for, okay? But I'm unblameable. Yeah, totally innocent. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> but you see what that means is in God's eyes, without blemish. It reminds us of, of Exodus when, when the Israelites were getting ready to leave Egypt and they needed to sacrifice a lamb and put the blood on the doorpost and the threshold and it had to be a lamb without blemish. See, and that's how God sees you. He sees you as a lamb without blemish. Remember Romans 12? Offer yourselves as living sacrifices. He sees us as a living sacrifice without a blemish. And that's what makes that stained glass window so cool, isn't it? Because there I am in his arms as a lamb without blemish offering myself as a living sacrifice, holy, without accusation, free from accusation. No one can accuse me. Revelation says Satan stands before the throne of God accusing us. But Romans tells us it does no good because there's no one who can bring any charge of condemnation against those who have been held in the arms of Jesus Christ. See yourself the way God sees you. Live out of that because you're reconciled to God. So what impact does reconciliation have on you as you consider that reconciliation came as you were Christ's enemy? Finally, we need to do this quickly. Sorry about that. If you continue in your faith, this is the future. If you continue in your faith and you're like, whoa, wait, hold it. Is this at risk? Is it at risk that I could lose this if I don't continue in the faith? The better way to read this is, is not that we're saved because we continue in our faith, but rather we continue in our faith because we understand who we are. We understand the fact that we are reconciled. 
And so we continue in that faith. Listen, I'm not going to think about myself the way I used to think about myself because I'm who God's made me to be, and I'm going to think about myself the way that God thinks about me. And that's going to pour from me, and it's going to prove the fact that my faith is genuine. That's going to hold me. And that's what Paul's telling this church is this needs to hold you because things are going to come against you that that say you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You aren't blameless. You aren't free from accusation, and you aren't holy. And there's all sorts of things in your life that tell you that. But God's word tells you you are. And that's where you hold on to, and that's where you get established and firm. And that's why it's so important for us to understand the depth of the gospel. As I was walking through Chicago a few years ago, they were building the Trump Tower. And as they were building the Trump Tower, it's like nothing was happening because they spent like a year or two just getting all the work done under the ground to get it strong enough that it would be established and firm and it would stand no matter what happened, okay? So that no matter what happened on top of the whatever floor, as the building's going all over like this, it's established and firm and it can hold. That's the idea Paul's getting at here. And you'll remember this church at Colossae, this town's gonna be gone in two years by an earthquake. He's telling them, your faith is established. It's firm. And you will not be shaken. Even when the earthquake comes, you will not be shaken if you hold out to the hope that's revealed in the gospel. And what is that hope that's held out in the gospel? Verse 5 tells them, it's stored in heaven. It's being focused on eternity. Listen, being established and firm reminds you that a million years from now, you're going to be in the presence of the Lord without any sin in the way, and you're going to be overwhelmed by his presence. And that's the hope that we have. You remember last week at the end of the service, I shared with you the verse out of of John 17 that talked about Jesus longing to show us the glory that he has in heaven. Verse 27 of chapter 1 says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. What is it that's holding you? What is it that your hope is in? See, Jesus is longing to show you the hope of his glory. Now listen, I don't know how this works. I, I don't. I dream about it. I think about it. I don't know. In a few years, I will. I won't be able to come back and tell you. But here... I wonder, if it's like this, you die and you go to heaven. And because I'm reconciled to God, because I'm no longer an alien in my thinking, because I'm reconciled to God, I have the future hope that's waiting for me. And I step into heaven, and I step into the presence of Jesus, and I either bow down or I jump in his arms. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe everything at the same time. And it's going to be so great to see him, and there's going to be no sin in the way. And he's going to say, come here and let me show you my glory. Let me show you the glory that you've been designed to have and that I created you to have with me. Let me show you this. And you're like, whoa, I thought having you on earth was good. This is great. (laughs) Amen? See, do you live in the hope of that glory or do you live in defeat of the fact that today stinks? Because the world all around you is stuck in the fact that today stinks. We're not stuck there. We're stuck in the future and the glory that's waiting for us. And God has entrusted us with the message 
And listen, once you, once you grab this, you can't help but tell somebody. We want to take as many people with us as possible. So, Lord, I thank you and I praise you for who you are. I thank you for the glory that will be revealed to us, the hope in which we now stand, the grace that showers over us. Arrest us with that, Lord, please. All for your glory, and we pray it in your name. Amen.